We are continuing our four-part consideration of uh, the ways that the resurrection of Jesus Christ uh, impacts us, particularly on how we relate to God and, and towards uh, others around us. <clears throat> As we've seen in our previous weeks, the, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the inspiration for our worship. We worship Jesus because his death, burial, and resurrection secures our eternal salvation when we trust in him as our Savior and as our Lord. Secondly, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is foundational for prayer. Prayer is how we communicate with the Lord as we focus upon him, as we talk with him as we intercede for others. And it's because Christ is risen that we can pray with assurance that we have access to God uh, through the living Christ uh, who has provided us this means uh, of connection with the Father. And thirdly, today what we're going to look at is that the resurrection is the motivation uh, for our service Resurrection is the motivation for our service. <clears throat> we are saved by the Lord from our sins, which is certainly a great blessing and what is needed first and foremost. But he's also saved us that we might serve, serve him. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, as you know, say, it, it says, say to us, for it is by grace that you are saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance that we should walk uh, in them. In fact, another passage of Scripture that you can uh, look at with me comes out of 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 14. <clears throat> and here the Apostle Paul says, For Christ's love compels us. That is the, the mo one of the motivating factors of why we do and why we serve and why we go. Because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And look at verse 15. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. <clears throat> so the resurrection of Jesus Christ not only secures our salvation, but it also becomes the motivation for which you and I serve God's purposes, carrying out God's will both in the context of the church and really in our world around us. Paul says here, it's because of this that, uh, that we share the gospel. Verses 16 and 17. Because it is the gospel that transforms the individual life and heart to be new, to be a new creation and to be transformed. Kind of interesting that Paul says here, that Christ's love compels us. <clears throat> the question I ask you this morning, and I ask myself, is do you 
realize and recognize the extent of God's love for you. Someone has said that the question is asked of God, how much do you love me? And he answers by saying, this is how much. And he went to the cross. Christ died that we might be saved. That's a demonstration of God's love for you and for me. But the second question uh, is this. Do you understand his love in such a way that his love fills you and moves you in service uh, towards others? Galatians chapter 5 and verse 13 tells us that we as brothers and sisters in Christ are called to be free, meaning free from sin, free from bondage, free from the old nature which drags us down. And Christ has provided that by His death, burial, and resurrection. But He says here, verse 13, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. So there again is this, this command, this imperative, this exhortation that you and I serve one another and we do so uh, out of our love for Christ, the one who not only died for us, but rose again. Pardon me. <clears throat> well, what are some of the acts uh, of service God calls His believers to? If the resurrection is that foundation and the motivation for our service, what are some of the acts of service God calls us as believers to engage in? I want to say to you that uh, Romans chapter 12, the passage that we read together earlier, uh, certainly gives us some insight into that. <clears throat> Someone has said that Romans chapter 12 <clears throat> is the greatest chapter on discipleship that we have in Scripture. And it's in this context that we are told that the believers are given gifts by the Spirit of God for the benefit and the blessing of others. Uh, while we could spend many weeks going through this chapter in detail, I just want to give us a little bit of a survey this morning you'll note that Paul begins this uh, passage <clears throat> by saying um, that the believer in Jesus Christ is to present their bodies to God as a living sacrifice. And why are we to do that? In view of His mercy. If you read Romans chapter 1, 18 through chapter 11, you'll see the mercy of God in that He provides us with a salvation that comes to us through Jesus Christ. In light of that, Paul says we as believers are to continually give ourselves to God so that He can transform our lives into the likeness of Jesus Christ in verses 1 and 2. <clears throat> We're going to explore these verses in more detail in an upcoming message, so suffice us to say that uh, Paul begins there with our giving ourselves totally and continually to the Lord. And let me just say on a side note, I'm having trouble with my throat this morning. I think it's just 
the allergies and allergens in the air. So pardon me if I stop to drink water periodically. Thank you for your understanding. <clears throat> You'll notice here that Paul continues on in verses 3 through 8. First, talking about God's grace that has impacted us, and it should help us to think rightly about ourselves in relationship to one another. And then in verse 4, he mentions to us that just as each of us has one body and many members, these members do not all have the same function. So in Christ, we who are many form one body and each member belongs to the other. Paul begins here by likening the church uh, to a body. And while you and I have one body that can be seen and can interact with others, that body has a lot of parts, does it not? We have external parts like hands and feet and eyes and mouths and nose and everything else that can be seen. And then there's internal parts of our body that are unseen, uh, that are just as vital and important that all of these things are functioning together and properly and in the proper manner if we are to be healthy, if we are to be whole, if we are to even function uh, as a human being. And Paul uses this analogy. And... Uh, he uses it to say that just as a physical body has, has one entity or one body and many parts, so it's true with those who are in Christ or the body of Christ. This analogy is used by him in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. <clears throat> and you'll notice on the uh, screen there that these are the four main passages in the New Testament that refer to spiritual gifts that we'll talk about here in a moment in the New Testament. And Paul is saying here that while we have one body, which is the body of Christ, there are many parts to that body. And those parts are made up of those individual Christians who have been given gifts by God that are supernatural gifts in their origin and supernatural in their use through the Spirit to actually function as the one body, to carry out the, the purpose and the will of God. So notice here, we see in verse 6, him saying to us, we have different gifts according to the grace given us. Interestingly, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we're told that it is the Holy Spirit who sovereignly and selectively gives to each one of us a particular gift. He says here that some of these gifts include that if a person's gift is prophesying, that they should use it in proportion to their faith. That they prophesying here is not that narrow sense that we sometimes have where the Old Testament prophet would receive a direct word from the Lord and then communicate it to the people. Prophesying here is more the idea of the proclaiming of truth, God's word that's already been given to us. 
Uh, this, could, this could be, in a sense, uh, considered part of the gifting that a pastor may have or a teaching pastor where they're communicating out the Word of God. It's not so much foretelling things that are going to happen as the Old Testament prophet did, but foretelling, giving out the Word of God. And to do so, it requires faith. Faith that God will indeed speak through His Word to the one who's going to speak, who then in turn will speak to others. Confidence in Him. Sometimes people ask me uh, about being nervous. I am nervous when I get into the pulpit. It's, it's not my nature to typically get in front of individuals and speak. In fact, my personality is quite different that I would rather just sit down and not be sort of in front of people. And I'm not saying that as a, as, a, as a look at me. I'm just saying as an example that that is a particular gift that God gives individuals to be able to be in front of others and to speak. And in particular, when you talk about it in the church, the spiritual gift is to be able to handle the Word of God in such a way that people can understand it and they can apply it through the Spirit's work. And so you should do so, as he says, let him do that in proportion to his faith. And I think each one of these gifts in their exercise, while Paul doesn't explicitly say it, require an exercise of faith in God to step out and to do what he may ask you to do because he's gifted you to do that. And to do something that nobody else can do. They may be similar, but they're not exactly the same. Did you notice that, that that's even true in terms of the, the handling of God's Word and those who preach and teach? That there are different styles and approaches to preaching? As long as they're preaching the Word of God, they're giving out the Word of God, but the styles and the approaches may be different. And notice this. He says, <clears throat> if it is serving, let him serve. How many of you have ever thought that being able to serve in whatever capacity that might be? See, that's a very broad spiritual gift. It's not specified here in Scripture to say serving is only taking up the offering. Did you notice that? There's not a footnote in your Bible written by uh, Paul later that says this is just being a greeter at the door or handing out a bulletin or mowing the lawn or vacuuming the building, or any one of these things that are, that are necessary for a body of Christ, a local assembly of God's people to have in order to function. You know, some, some people have a mistaken notion, uh, and I'm not saying this church does, but I've heard this, I've never experienced it, but the, that the, the response sometimes is, well, that's what we hired you for. Oh, Now, I've not experienced that. Thank, thank the Lord that in all the churches I've served, I've never been looked at in that capacity. By the way, a pastor does not have all the spiritual gifts. So please don't have the mistaken notion that a pastor in a church, regardless of how small or how large, has all these gifts and that he functions in every one of these perfectly. You know, We're going to see here as this list says, if, uh, if it's serving, you serve. If it's teaching, let him teach. 
If you have the gift and the ability, God has given you that to handle his word, to handle it correctly, and to teach others and to communicate it well under the spirit of God, you should teach because he's given you that gift. And it's not only the formal teaching that I think that Paul is talking about, but even the one-on-one. There's some people who are very gifted at being able to have a one-on-one or one-on-two kind of conversation where they can teach someone But you put them in front of a crowd and they can't do the same thing. So gifts can even function in different ways in that particular context. Notice this, he says, verse 8, if it's encouraging, let him encourage. Do you have the gift of encouragement? I don't know if you do or not. I'm just asking that as as a question. Some people have the ability to encourage others and the body of Christ needs that because sometimes we can become so discouraged by our context, our culture, our world, that we need someone who has a word of encouragement from the Lord to say, let's look at it from this perspective. Let's understand this concerning God and his work in our midst. If it's contributing to the needs of others, let him do it generously. That's broad as well. I don't think that that's talking about just writing a check every time there's a need. I think that's contributing in giving yourself to others in whatever the need might call for, where you're able to come alongside a brother or sister in Christ, someone in need, and you're able to help them in some measure. If it is leadership, let them govern diligently. If you have the gift, some people are very gifted in administration. I served with a senior pastor who was very gifted in administration. And I can remember when he came on board and the, the governing board had a question about some things and about maybe having some possible sort of uh, papers or guidelines for something. By the next governing board meeting, he had a whole, whole syllabus out there for us. And it was wonderful, and it was perfect, and it's exactly what we needed. It would take me months to figure that out. Because I don't know that I have the gift necessarily of administration. But some are very gifted in it. And the church needs that because you need people who can, who can administer things and, and, and sort of manage and oversee and make sure that things are properly in their place and done right. Notice this, that it also says that one of the gifts is showing mercy. Did you ever stop to think for a moment that you're being able to show mercy to someone and even encourage fellow believers to, to, to demonstrate mercy in a given context is your gift from God? And the body of Christ needs that. Now, just going through that particular passage... And looking at that, prophesying, serving, teaching, encouraging, giving to meet a need, leadership, showing mercy, does that, does that necessarily always come to your mind when you think about a spiritual gift? One of you thought that's true. Because sometimes I think we have a mistaken notion that spiritual gifts are only those who are up front and who are known in the church. But it's only the pastor, it's only the person who serves as an elder or a deacon or some other leadership role that has a gift. No, each one of you, if you're in Jesus Christ, have a spiritual gift from God that he wants you to exercise for the benefit and for the blessing of the body of Christ. 
Let me have you turn for a moment to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, one of these other main passages on the spiritual gifts, just for a brief moment. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And I just want to look very briefly at this. In verses 4 through 6, you will note with me that Paul talks about the differing gifts. He says there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of workings, or how they, how they play out, if you would, but the same God who works all of them in all men, in all individuals, in all believers. Now notice this in verse 7. Now each one, now to each one the manifestation is given for what? The common good. For the benefit of the body. The, these gifts are given to benefit and to help and to build up the body of Christ. And notice this, he mentions here, the, the gifts here that are mentioned here are the gift of wisdom that comes from the Spirit, the gift of knowledge, the gift of faith, the gifts of healing, miraculous powers, prophesying, being able to distinguish between spirits, that's a gift of discernment, to another, different kinds of tongues, to some, the interpretation in tongue, of tongues. And verse 11, all these are the work of the one and same Spirit, and He gives to each one just as He determines. Thus, the Spirit of God gives every believer a gift, an ability, which comes from God, which is energized, directed, and used in the power of the Holy Spirit. And the purpose of these gifts is so that the body of Christ is built up. So that the body of Christ can function. So that the body of Christ can accomplish what God would have uh, that body of believers to do. And it's essential for you and me to know our giftings from God. And to not only know them, but then, then use them and operate in them for the benefit of the church the fellow believers who are part of the body of Christ. And just uh, as you probably already know this, but I just want to emphasize this, this fact. The body of Christ is not all mouth, which are talkers. It's not all hands, which are doers. And it's not all feet, those who go with the gospel. It's not all these things. I mean, Paul even says in, in uh, uh, 1 Corinthians uh, 12, if the whole body were uh, a mouth, where would the eyes be? If it were all hands, where would the feet be? And I would suggest to you that the unseen and visible parts of our body are vital and, in, and essential. The things that, if you would, are behind the scenes that are not up front, that are not always even acknowledged or recognized, but are essential for the body of Christ to function and to accomplish the purpose for which God raises up a local congregation in, in serving Him. This past week, uh, I had blood work drawn as part of my 
uh, physical. And as you know, blood is essential to your body. If you don't have blood, you'll die. And your blood has to be healthy as well. That's an unseen part of, of my body and your body as well. But it's essential that that, that blood be healthy and, and normal and functioning the way God designed it. Because if not, then there are problems. And the local church can have a problem of not being able to accomplish what God desires to do in its midst if the parts of the body are not functioning with one another. And I would suggest to you that God has given each local church all the gifts needed within that context to accomplish the work that he calls us to in his word. Someone might ask the question though, well what happens if a ministry or activity knows, has no help or has no support? Well there's a few possibilities. Number one, it was never God's will in the first place. You know, if we, if we sort of brainstorm, if that was the way that we approach things, but if we were to brainstorm and try to think, well, how can we, we do things for God? We can come up with a list of a thousand, if not 20,000 things that you and I can do. But the question we have to ask ourselves is, uh, is this God's will? Does he want us to do this? But secondly, the next question is, are there giftings for this? Are there giftings for this? There, there are some churches that have a, a part of their, their congregation that, that develop the arts for, for Christ's sake and for the gospel. I don't know that we have in our midst the ability or the capacity because of the giftings to develop the arts and have a program that would indeed encourage the arts so as to glorify Christ through them. So the first thing you have to ask yourselves is, well, maybe it's not God's will. Secondly, it could be that we don't have the gifts for that particular work. But thirdly, and this is something that we need to step back and ask our individual selves this question in the context of this congregation, maybe the gifts are present, but there are individuals, number one, who don't know their gift, or secondly, refuse to use them. Because it is possible to have a gift and not use it. Remember Jesus' parable about the talents? And he gave one five, he gave one three, and he gave one one. We even kind of use that terminology. A talent was a, was a, was a, 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 a coin, uh, an amount of money. And we use it in terms of using it today, saying our talents. Have you offered your talents to God? You know, that, that the one that had the one, what did he do? He buried it in the ground and just gave it back to the master when it was time to give an account. And he says, you're wicked and you're lazy because you should have done something with what I've given you. And so let me ask you the question, are you using your God-given abilities to serve the body of Christ? You say, I don't know my gift. Well, let me, let me encourage you on those four passages that you have before you. I would ask you to, number one, study those passages. Secondly, I would ask you, in light of those passages and based on those passages, prayerfully research them. 
Study them. Find out what those gifts are in particular. And then I would suggest to you that you ask God to reveal to you your gift. If you're sincere in your heart, if you're praying to Him, if you're in His Word, if you're seeking Him, He's going to make that known to you. And, and some of the ways that that may, may be made known to you is that somebody else might see in you a potential and an ability to do something that maybe you don't see yourself. You might be asked to help in a particular way. And you know yourself. But you also know that God, through His Spirit and by faith in Him, can use you even beyond yourself. Because if it's just natural abilities then it's really not from the Spirit of God, even though ultimately everything comes from God. Do you follow me? This is something that requires an exercise of faith on my part and on your part to develop these gifts and to use them. And then once you know your gift, that you use what God has given you to uniquely serve the body of Christ. So ask the Holy Spirit to use you uh, in directing how your gift can be used for the sake of the local congregation. <clears throat> it's kind of interesting that, as I've said a little bit earlier, that there's a broadness in some of these gifts. Uh, in particular, I mentioned serving. Did you know that in Acts chapter 6, the first, uh, I think, eight verses where their need was for the serving of tables, that in verse 1 where it says that there were some who were being neglected in the daily distribution of food, that that word distribution of food is actually the word diakonoia, which means ministry. And did you also know that Paul, excuse me, Peter later on said that we will not wait on tables diakonoia and neglect the word of God but we will devote ourselves to the ministry diakonoia of the word and prayer so which one of them is ministry the preaching and praying yes the serving of tables yes it's the exact same word when you serve your brother or sister in Christ or in the context of this local body you are ministering in Jesus' name. Do you do it in the strength that he supplies? Are you doing it for his glory? Are you doing it so that your brothers and sisters will be edified, will be built up, will be encouraged, will be further pointed to Jesus Christ in greater measure? God wants to use each of us in the gifts that he's given us. Kind of interesting that in my first church, before I was married, there was a lady in the church who grew up uh, Amish and then married a man and, and then became Mennonite. She was part of the church that we were a part of. Her name was Sadie. And shortly after I came there as pastor, she came to me and said, um, I'd like to do your laundry for you. I lived in an apartment. I didn't have laundry facility there. I had to go to laundromat and do my laundry. And I didn't know how to respond to that. So I went to one of the elders and I said, you know, Sadie asked to do my laundry for me. I don't know how I feel about that. 
And he said to me, that's how Sadie serves. You don't want to rob her of that blessing. So you know what I did? <laughs> I gave her my dirty laundry. And she would come back every week with not only my laundry cleaned and laundered, but folded and ironed and everything else. I didn't look for that, but she was a blessing to me. But the elder was right in saying, don't rob her of that blessing. Sometimes we can be too independent as believers and saying, I could just do it myself. I don't need anybody. And we, we, we rob the body of Christ of being able to, to minister in Jesus' name and see that we are one body. We're one family in Jesus Christ. So how are we to serve? Well, look at what Paul says later in Romans 12, 9 through 16. You go back to that passage real quick. This, is, this should be our, if you would, our attitude in, in these type of conducts. And now I know he's mentioning specific conduct here, or specific actions, but I think that these uh, ways of, of living also are included in the gifts as well. Notice that love must be sincere, hate what is e evil and cling to what is good, be devoted to one another in brotherly love, honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep up your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who moan, uh, mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of a low position. Do not be uh, conceited. You just to look at those words, we're to love, have devotion, honor, have zeal, being joyful, patient, faithful, sharing, blessing, rejoicing with others, mourning with others. Harmony, humility, and association with one another. So how do we serve? We serve in these ways, but in particular, the Scripture says, 2 Corinthians 5.14, we, we are compelled by His love. We serve out of love. Our love for our Lord and our love for God's people. How do we serve? Galatians chapter 5 and verse 13, we serve in love. In Galatians 5, 16 to 20, and 25, we serve by the power of the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> I find it interesting that in John chapter 13, <clears throat> there is a link between serving one another in love and the example that Jesus was to his disciples and to us. Notice that it says here, John chapter 13, it was just before the Passover feast and Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. <clears throat> now notice this. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. 
Now, while that certainly looks forward to the cross and what he would endure in order to secure their salvation and ours, notice what he does in this particular context. It says here, verse 2, that the evening meal was ser had been served and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray him. And Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet drying with them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Think about that for a moment. Normally in the culture of that day, there would be someone, a servant, who would wash the feet of those individuals as they came in and participated in a meal. Nobody did that. In fact, one of the other gospel <clears throat> uh, accounts indicates that they were fighting over who is going to be where in the kingdom. And I wonder if it, if it wasn't at that point that Jesus got out the, 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 the towel and the basin and began to wash their feet. Think about that. The Lord of glory, the Lord of heaven, the Son of God on his knees, washing dirty, dusty, maybe even stinky feet. Peter objected to that, the text says. And he says, Jesus' response to him was, <clears throat> you don't realize what I'm doing now, but later you'll understand. And Peter says, oh, no, 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 no. You're not going to do this. Not to me. And then he says, Simon, if uh, uh, I don't uh, wash you, you have no part of me. Well, then if you're going to, if, 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 if getting my feet washed indicates that I'm connected with you, then give me a bath. And, and, and Jesus says, they who have, are bathed don't need anything but to wash their feet. And I think there's a lot of symbolism in that, that being in Christ, we're washed from our sins. But in this world, our feet are going to get dirty, in a sense. And we need to come back to Christ for washing, for cleansing, for sanctification. And uh, so he, he submits to that. <clears throat> And look at verse 12, after he had re put on his clothes again and returned to his place. He says, do you understand what I've done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that's what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now notice this, verse 17. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. And is that not a call for all of us to serve one another in love, following Christ's example? And, it, and all of this grows out of the fact that we serve a risen and living Savior. I won't take the time for, 
for the sake of time this morning to read it. But look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. In verses 54 to 57, Paul talks about when the resurrection will happen. And we will be transformed and made new and to be made like Jesus Christ. <clears throat> he says at verse 54, When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal will have upon immortality, then the saying that is written will become true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O, o, o death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. How did he give us the victory? Through the cross and through his resurrection. That's what this whole chapter is about. And then notice this. Notice the, the, the connection that is made then by Paul in the next verse. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters in Christ, stand firm. Let nothing, let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. It's not futile. It's not empty. It's not for nothing. It accomplishes God's purposes. And when we faithfully serve and in obedience and in faith, ultimately it leads to that which will be rewarded by our Lord in that day. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 10, and I conclude with this verse, says this. <clears throat> Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Because Christ is risen, we worship Him. Because Christ is risen, we pray. And because Christ is risen, we serve one another to the glory of God and to the praise of Jesus, our Savior and Lord. Shall we pray? Father, thank you for this time together in your word. Thank you that in part this message is a reminder to us that we as believing people need one another. We not only need a personal relationship with you by faith, but we also need ongoing and personal relationships with fellow believers in Christ whom you have gifted so that we can be encouraged, so that we can minister to one another in Jesus' name with the strength that you supply. Father, may this message today encourage our hearts that we would not lose heart becoming weary and doing good, but that we may once again in faith give ourselves to you, be filled with your Spirit, and use those things that you have bestowed upon us as the means by which you will work, Lord, through us to not only build up the body of Christ, but to be a witness for him beyond our, our own context. And Father, we will give you thanks and praise for how you use us and we'll give the glory back to you. For it's in Jesus' name we pray.
Amen.